like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hi everyone, you're joining me, Nicole Holton, for the very next episode of the Inspired Educator podcast. Today I'm really excited to be talking to Kate Higginbottom. Kate is the Director of Adamstown Community Early Learning and Preschool, uh, based here in Newcastle, uh, New South Wales. Kate has been at the service for a good six years now, possibly a little longer. and over the last couple of years the service has been doing some amazing work around risky play. Uh, In 2016 they began a research project, action research with uh, the University of Newcastle along with some other services here in Newcastle and that research project led to some really interesting findings in the service, uh, some change in practice and also a trip to Italy which was kind of nice for Kate. So settle in uh, as we talk about all things risky play. Hope you enjoy this one. Get it going. It says it's recording. Happy days. All right. So welcome, Kate. Thanks for joining us on the Inspired Educator podcast. Uh, Really excited to have you here. Um, Can we get started with a bit of a brief insight into how you came to be in early childhood um, and specifically in the role that you're in now? Sure. I, I think I've always known I wanted to be a teacher in some capacity since I was very young. Always the mother hen or um, the teacher in dramatic play situations. Uh, I was a dance teacher in my early days, which grew my love for teaching and I suppose supported that decision to complete my diploma full-time at TAFE. So yep. once I left school, I um, I did that. And then following finishing my diploma, I worked as um, an educator before quite quickly moving into a director position um, in a large organisation in Sydney. So I started there and um, moved to the Gold Coast for a few years um, and then decided after a baby, um, it was time that my husband and I and the family came home and Newcastle is home to us. So um, I applied for the role here at Adamstown and was successful and that was about six years ago. Excellent. Um, it's funny just hearing you talk about that and so far with the people that I have interviewed, I have come across that where um, everyone sort of says, oh, I've always known I wanted to be a teacher. I'm like the complete opposite of that. <laughs> I, was, I was the person who never wanted to be a teacher. I don't know how I ended up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So about your service. So you're at the beautiful Adamstown. Um, 
Adamstown was recently involved or last year? Last year? Did it start last year? Uh, we started in 2016, actually. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. It's been going a while. Um, so you've been involved in a research project, uh, Action Research, with the University of Newcastle. Um, what can you tell us about the project and what it meant for your service, the findings, that whole kind of process? Sure. Well, that's a very long conversation. It is. A, that's a huge question. <laughs> it's a multifaceted question. Especially considering we're, we're, we're pushing about 4,000 words in our, in our draft of our research article, but I will try and keep it short. Just condense it. <laughs> um, so I suppose reflecting back from the commencement of that project back in 2016, it was the most professionally enhancing experience that I suppose the, the team have ever had the privilege of being involved in. Um, I think despite all the media attention around our our specific project on risky play it was actually the overarching research connections project which was about designing um, a project where teacher or educators could engage their own action research um, that as professionals most benefited us it 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 was rather than the shot in the arm sort of pd where you may be inspired to take um, back something and share, but perhaps it you know fizzles out quickly. Yeah. Um, we this was a long series of over twelve months of um, ongoing professional learning and reflective um, workshops. Yep. Um, with Dr. Nicole Leggett and Associate Professor Linda Newman, and that really supported that embedded learning and and found in their in their findings to show an increase in our ability to really critically reflect on. On practice so it made us really much more deeper thinkers throughout all our practice which was wonderful yeah so that was the overarching project and then of course we um, decided to do our our topic in the research project about um, risky play which our question was how does educator intentionality impact on children's risk competence and such so, a good question yeah. <laughs> so we, we found um, on the work of Ellen Sandsetter that she, well she originally found that children most engaged in risky play when there was uh, when children were away from adults where yep. we wanted to actually find if we did promote risky play with children and use those um, promoting intentional teaching strategies, would children perform that more? Would they mm -hmm. be able to better perceive, better assess and better manage their own risk? So um, the answer, I suppose, in, in short version is yes, they absolutely did do that, yeah. um, which was wonderful. So, um, so we found, I suppose, in some brief outcomes, we found that educators' confidence in risky play improved. Mm -hmm. That in turn provided that, significant increase in those opportunities we provided for children um, so so educators were sort of starting to use language like oh I would like to super oh, you know I should supervise children or monitor children where once they went through the change project and they did some really really thorough professional learning sessions they were able to uh, use techniques such as sustained shared thinking and so they were saying um, things like using you know co-collaboration with children or yep. supporting um supporting each other to learn or looking at the child as competent um that they can make their own decisions so the language changed significantly um in that in that process 
Uh, we also saw that children used more language associated with risk assessment and risk management when reflecting on their own play. Mm -hmm. So they gave examples initially such as um, just wearing a helmet perhaps with a, on a bike and then they moved to things like really unpacking those processes of safety measures like, um, you know, I need to place my hand on this branch or I need to make sure that this is sturdy, those types of things. So yeah. we've seen a really nice level of rich language coming out in terms of that assessment of, and management of risk. And, um, and obviously children were engaging more often and more autonomously. So, so we saw a, a decrease in, in physical and verbal support that educators needed to, um, to use. And we started using more of, that, um, more of that sustained shared thinking. So that was that increase in risk. There. And I suppose finally, um, we, we initially didn't agree with um, this as a, as a team collective, but the data didn't lie. <laughs> uh, that we, originally, um, we originally showed a, a, a gender bias actually in terms of challenging boys more than girls mm. we we did um we did you know encourage them whilst they were participating but we never pushed them hard and i think that um we we looked at that as an aspect in our change project to ensure that we corrected that bias and we definitely did that throughout the, the change project. and isn't it funny having been to your service and spent quite a bit of time in your service that concept of a gender bias would not even enter my mind. And it just, I suppose, shows that it's those little things are just often really micro things within our practice or within our understandings and experience ourselves. And we probably, until, as you say, you're looking at the data and you're looking at that evidence, you don't kind of realise it's there. Yeah. Well, it, well, it was certainly unconscious, you know, it was absolutely it until we really, and that comes back to that critical reflection and, and by critical reflection, it was, you know, looking at actual data that had been collected yeah. on that process. So yeah, it, it certainly is something that unless you look at with a different lens, I suppose you never, you never truly understand exactly what's happening. And no doubt that would have been difficult for educators to Absolutely. to be faced with that and that's I think one of the things I find so fascinating about critical reflection and how um, educators feel that they engage with that and I feel that there's a great many people that just don't quite get there because they're not prepared to face what's often an ugly truth or a truth that we're not comfortable with that yeah. maybe we are showing a bias or you know and whether that's in you know intentional or completely unconscious as I think it usually is that it's hard to face that sometimes and I think that process of doing that as a research project kind of puts the facts out there and you can't dispute that. No, that's that's exactly right and I think that's probably why we are starting to see more practitioner action research coming to the surface because it is showing these great benefits in educators being able to um, being able to really look at um, their practice critically. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so obviously the, the research project managed to take you over to Italy. Could you share a little bit about that, how you wound up in Italy? <laughs> um, well, I was encouraged um, by our university mentors, uh, Nicole and Linda, to uh, work with them on, a, on an abstract to present to the conference um, yeah. and fortunately 
Um, you know, we saw the benefit of that in in many aspects, not only presenting to the to an international scope, but also um, learning from academics from around the world. Um, myself attending that conference, so um, it was an amazing start to an amazing journey of media, I suppose, surrounding um, the research project, but. Um, certainly uh, very much an eye-opener in terms of the level of knowledge that I was surrounded with in that um, but also having people of that caliber listening to you as, as a practitioner is just astounding it's just was so overwhelming for me <laughs> but, but also um, really exciting so um, so it was something that we we did as a as a team and um, and Fortunately, as well, we, we weren't aware of until one of the conference days when we were asked to sit up the front is that um, Linda had applied for um, the Practitioner Research Award um, and we actually won it. A little town from Newcastle, Australia, <laughs> won, took out the 2017 Practitioner Research Award. So myself, um, Elder Street, uh, Cameron Park Early Learning in Hamilton, along with the university mentors, um, were a dual were dual winners, and um, it's been so such an accomplishment um, specifically for that award um, to be yeah to be part of that. Yeah, very very impressive, and I know as a early childhood community here in Newcastle, we we're all very proud. Um, All right, so sort of following on from that, I know in recent weeks specifically um, when you guys appeared on the project, that was very nice, Kate, Um, but also in the last couple of months and the last probably 12 to 18 months, I suppose, there's been quite a bit of media coverage around risky play and I know you've um, found yourself in that media. How important do you think it is to have that media coverage? Oh, look, Nicole, it is safe to say that we that our particular project received the media attention because our practice is still seen as somewhat controversial when you look at the headlines like kids gone wild or <laughs> kids playing with fire, fire. <laughs> um you know so in some regards yes it, it is important but but i think that what is important is advocacy about the benefits of this type of play and the underlying research is what really needs to be heard absolutely um, we are seeing higher rates of, you know, anxiety in children, lower muscle tone and core strength um, and the level of resilience of children these days um, with some linking connections to that limited engagement outdoors in risk-taking activities and obviously being able to independently um, or not independently perceive, assess and manage their own problems and risks. So yeah. it's it's... It, it has to get out there, but, you know, the media will take what it wants to take from yes. um, from you. And we learnt that very quickly, um, despite the fact that the, the project was um, given in a positive light in some ways. There was also some really wonderful commentary by myself and also uh, Associate Professor Linda Newman, who unfortunately didn't get, um, get to, to be... Um, shown on the project however she was interviewed um, oh. there was really great um you know advocacy happening throughout interviews which unfortunately the public wasn't able to see so. well i know i found that 
that um, segment a little frustrating because I could see the intention. The intention started out so positive and I saw um, your, your comments were so positive and then there were some other comments. Um, I believe Ruth Harper made some comments um, and, and that was all really positive and some of the footage shown was amazing. And then there was this flash to let's ask parents what you think about your kids playing with fire. Should kids light fires kind of thing? And it was real trivializing I suppose for me um it didn't put the information across their well to families and I think the parents that they asked kind of went oh my gosh no I don't want my children setting fires uh, which no one really wants their children setting fires um, and I think it is that context isn't it I yeah mean, we we really we talked about it as a as a team and also I've had some conversations you know as a as a mother with your mother's groups and things and I think I've just said look if somebody walk up to the street and ask me if I'd let my child light fires in the capacity I mean I'd probably say no too but if I actually said if I if somebody said to me would you enroll your child in a, in a service that has competent ed educators that understand how to to manage and how to support children in risky play opportunities would you allow them then to engage in firework I would probably say yes so I yes. think it's the context it is it's definitely context and and that's it and I think that that highlighted for me as I say I found the segment overall was quite positive there was just these couple of little moments where I went oh that's kind of missing the point yeah. and I think I found that a bit frustrating but I think it reiterated just how important it is that services like yours are out there advocating you know you're not shying away from sharing the photos of the children sitting around the fire you're not yeah. you know hiding the photo, the fact that children are you know, working with tools, like it's all out there. And I think the more it's out there, the more normal it will become, yes, um, yes. you know, and people will feel that higher level of comfort with it, I guess. Yes, we, we can only hope. We can hope. All right. So in terms of risky play, what are some of the challenges that you face or that come about uh, when you're in an environment where you're in, encouraging children to engage in that sort of risky play? What might those challenges look like? Well, I think overall when you're introducing something new and I, I suppose we can go right back to 2014 when we, when we started to delve into um, the categories of risky play, um, I think like all things new, there was always going to be some form of um, hesitance um, in terms of that practice and, mm. and we saw that primarily in some educators um, and I suppose it was the the fear of litigation or that worry about yep. liability which was at the forefront of their thinking yep um, so we really worked hard with educators in a series of professional learnings conducted by myself um, we also had some some training um, around the things like firework just to make sure that educators felt more empowered with their knowledge and they were able to better articulate about how they work within the legislation when it comes to to risky play absolutely yeah so, um, so that was probably one of our biggest challenges initially um, but also then um, I suppose when it came to families although there was a little hesitation at first um, generally we've we've had a really positive experience with with families mm. we went through a, a process um, of drip feeding um, if you'd like to say information yep. at the beginning 
uh, primarily when we when we introduce firework, obviously being probably one of the most controversial categories of risky play. Um, so we started with the training session with the educators so that they um, got got used to the process of what we were going to do. Then we worked over a very small long period of, of engaging that risk benefit assessment, um, assessing all the things, practicing as a as a team. Um, then we introduced that those tea light candles and progressed to a small fire bowl and we ended up nine months down the track with a big fire pit. So And I think that says a lot too. Yeah. That that fact that I was actually talking to some educators about this yesterday, it isn't an overnight process. No. It's not something you can go, hey, you know what? Tomorrow we're going to do fire and we're just going to walk in and we're going to set a fire in a fire pit. It's just, yeah. it doesn't work that way. It's it's my ongoing saying of um, um, that, that I talk about all the time in terms of we don't just have the 20... 20 gallon drum of um, petrol doused timber yeah. <laughs> the day after we decide we're going to do something like this. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, a, is definitely something that shouldn't be, you know, treated as a trend. Um, yeah. Should be something that is really critically unpacked as a team to determine whether it is right for that context um, and then be able to go through those processes of, of, of understanding why and how and what the benefits are going to be to the children at the end of the day. That's what yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. What about a favourite story or a favourite moment um, that you have of children engaging in risky play, something that sort of stands out? Um, I think... Well, absolutely plenty. I think there's, there's, there definitely is given how much we, we do offer to children. But one in particular stands out to me, um, which we captured as part of our data in, in the research project. And I often share the video because it was captured. And funnily enough, it involves my son. So it's that sort of next level um, of, of, well, it's, it's, fun, it's funny to me, but is that <laughs> it's maybe not so funny to other, other people. But um, so we had several children standing on a beam um, of preschool age. He was a preschool child here and um, and he was wearing his socks and a, a child, another child is sort of pointing to his socks and we can't hear the dialogue, but you can understand the, the language that he's, we kind of assume that he's suggesting that they're not safe. And um, my son, who uh, let's say is strong-willed, <laughs> um, said, yeah, 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 I know, I know, you know. And, um, and then very, very shortly after he slips off, and this is quite a high beam, and he slips off the beam and, um, and gets quite upset. And obviously after he's comforted in that, in that moment, we take the time to interview him and get him to sort of unpack the the processes around what happened and what was really exciting for us as a team um, because it evidenced all the work that we had put into this this project was he was able to really talk about the process of why he fell how he fell why you know that the fact that his socks are slippery that he needs to make sure in the future that his socks are taken off because he needs to wrap his toes and and stick to the beam to be able to be on there safely so this those types of things is the language that we're hearing now because this practice is embedded through through our our curriculum and that that really excites I know not only me but but our Adamstown team too yeah no that's that is really exciting it is it's nice to see when that 
stuff is coming through from children, you know, and, and you go, oh, it actually works. (laughs) It all works. (laughs) It all comes together. All right. So final question is, and it's a question we ask everybody we're talking to, or I'm talking to is who or what are your top three inspirations as an early childhood professional? So it might be uh, someone you work with or, um, some thinker, theorist, it might be some sort of program, a book, anything. Top three inspirations. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. And it's That's hard like to pick three. A piece of string. Like I know. And it's hard. It's almost like saying which child's your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Well, I, I, think it, I think it is safe to say over the past three years that um, Ellen Sandsetter, um, who is the Norwegian researcher that um, developed the categories of risky play and many, many other amazing parts of research in 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 risk taking um because we just lived and breathed her her work over the past three three years within our project you know through our literature reviews and things like that i also was fortunate um and um our wonderful australian research team that came to italy will have a little giggle um i i found her very very quickly at the um at the European Early Childhood Research Conference um, out of, you know, 3,000 academics. I can imagine you tracked her down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and had a great conversation with her about some risk-taking in Australian context. And and so it was was like I was fangirling. Um, (laughs) I I have been been there and done that, not with Ellen Sandsetter, but I have definitely been there and done that. And afterwards you think... Did I really just do that? But you've got to take the opportunity when it comes. If you're meeting an idol, you take the opportunity when it comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, yeah, definitely Ellen. Um, I think more recently um, something that's really inspiring me is, is and again, I suppose being in, in Italy is, is, and we always talk about it, I know you can never bring the Reggio con context to here but you can certainly be inspired by their principles and and I definitely know that it has always spoken to me as an educator particularly in that inquiry-based approach to children's learning and that's something that we really prioritize here is is that notion of children being competent and capable and having a voice in their learning yeah. So, um, those principles definitely inspire me every day, I think, in the way I approach children, even though I'm not primarily contact with the children. It's, it's nice in the way that we engage project work with children. I'm very well aware of what is happening in those spaces. So it's, um, it's a beautiful way of, of, you know, supporting children in their learning processes and, and something that I've probably will always hold so hopefully I will get an opportunity to actually go and see that context but um one day one day <laughs> um, next next Italian trip maybe yeah I hope so I did try but of course um they did have an offer to see a, a service but um that probably was snapped up in a heartbeat very quick just missed out but next time perhaps so um and I think uh, a good friend of yours Claire Claire Warden always 
um, you know, when I, I love listening to Claire speak. I could listen to Claire yep. all, all day, every day. Every time I listen to Claire, I hear something different. So <laughs> I, I get that one. I definitely get that one. Yeah, I, I think um, obviously very exciting. I should I should actually note Dr. Claire Warden now. Doctor, you? absolutely. <laughs> um, but definitely we know her forte, nature pedagogy. She really does encourage you to think about those ample opportunities from children of children from from infancy um right through um engaging in that nature type play but i think most recently um she's really inspired us as a team to consider um that nature-based play through through schema and those um schema behaviors mm. in in those younger age groups and i think naturally i've always been an infant's teacher um and that's where my forte lies and i think that's that's what really sort of has recently i suppose stood out to me about claire I'm, i know she has many other talents but um but that's something that has definitely inspired me lately Excellent. Well, we've reached the end of our chat. Um, thank you so much, Kate, for joining us this afternoon. I think it was a really exciting conversation. I think it'll be something that a lot of educators can take from. Um, so thank you so much for your time. I'll be able to let you get back to your work in the service. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. <laughs> no worries at all. See Bye. You. Wow, what a great chat with Kate this afternoon talking all things risky play. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, maybe there's some things you're thinking about, hey, I really want to give that a go in our service or maybe we need to research that a bit more. Uh, I think for me, the thing that really stood out there was around critical reflection um, and how important that is for educators. Um, I think that's something that as educators we can kind of think we're doing but maybe we're really not critical enough. Uh, it can be hard to shine the light back on ourselves and sometimes we don't necessarily like what we see um, but I think that's all about a big part of evolving as an educator. So if you want to find out more about uh, Kate and the team at Adamstown, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they are Adamstown Community Early Learning and Preschool or ACELP. Uh, you'll definitely find them under both of those. Uh, they often share photos, videos and you know, some really great little stories about the risky play that's taking place within their service. So uh, if you've got any questions uh, about the episode, things that maybe you'd like to share, thoughts you'd like to share, uh, feel free to send us a message through the Inspired EC Facebook page uh, or you can get hold of us via our Inspired EC website, which is just in www.inspiredec.com.au. Uh, hopefully, again, as I say, you've enjoyed the episode and I will see you next time. Well, Maybe you'll hear from me next time. You probably won't see me. Need more Nicole in your life? Here's how to find her. InspiredEC.com, InspiredEC on Facebook, or at Inspired underscore EC on Instagram. You can also visit PlayVolutionHQ.com slash podcasts slash inspired to leave a comment or ask a question. Thanks for listening.
hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.